0: And we're going to look under those two headings as we uh, go through uh, this series. I'm going to go ahead and read our passage of Scripture this morning and pray. Uh, I'm going to ask as I'm speaking that you would uh, pray for me. I've got a a bad uh, wisdom tooth that's uh, driving me absolutely crazy right now. And uh, there's nothing better than when you've got a toothache to have to talk. And so if you see me crying, I'm not touched by my own message But I'm hitting a nerve and so uh, if you would uh, just be in prayer for me as we uh, go through uh, this time together Let's uh, go ahead and pray and then uh, we'll uh, get into the word this morning Father God we come before you Lord and we ask that you would open our hearts this morning to all that you have uh, to share with us Lord I pray We've, we've come from many different backgrounds for some we've had just incredibly awesome weeks with you Lord, where sin has been something that has not been a major issue in our lives, Lord, and we thank you for the uh, resident Holy Spirit that lives within us, uh, that is able to allow us to say no to sin and and worldly lust. but Lord, uh, I know and and I'm sure many here that this was not a week where victory was found so easily, uh, that the things of this world and the struggles that That we've had in our lives and the sin that we have so easily fallen to Lord are so prevalent uh, this last week and Lord we come in with a mixture of emotions some guilt father uh, a level of feeling like a a hypocrite Lord feeling feeling like we say that we're one thing and yet we do another Lord I pray that we would recognize that uh, when we confess our sins you are faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness father I pray that even as we share in the study of your word today that, that each and every person here would be confessing sin to you Lord making right getting right as things are brought to our attention through your word that we would stop and pause and and Lord just say forgive me Lord I I've blown it in that area I've missed it in in this way or, or that way Lord so that we can have true And real fellowship with you Lord we are told that when we draw near to you you draw near to us Lord we want you to be near but we recognize that many times our sin keeps us from that nearness that relationship that we long for now Lord I pray that you would speak to us through uh, this word that you would uh, enlighten our hearts as we embark on a a long journey Lord we will be here for a while and Lord I pray that we would um, not look at this as an arduous journey through uh, another book of yours but with great joy we would look forward to what you're going to teach us because your son Jesus is going to be uh, the centerpiece he's going to be where the spotlight will always be throughout this series lord we want to see Jesus and we want to draw near to him in our study of the gospel of mark so speak through me uh, be with our small groups as they study these passages as well that we would grasp these truths and be better off as a result of it in Christ's name we pray amen Well, as we look at the subject and to the gospel of Mark the word that continued to come to mind as I studied this as a book and then as a particular sermon was the word radical now radical is a word that we don't use very often when I was younger the word rad was something that was rad it was in when you saw something cool when you saw something uh, that uh, was just awesome you would say with your best California accent that was rad dude and yet the word radical doesn't mean something that's cool it doesn't mean that something that uh, inevitably would be popular but the word radical is a word that I want us to become more acquainted with because we are coming to grips as we look at the Gospel of Mark to a savior who is radical Not only is he awesome, not only is he cool, but he is radical because of all that he does. His ministry is radical. His healings were radical. His teachings were radical. And as we approach this book, we desire to be radical people, people that have been changed. Now this word radical literally means to, in the adjective form, that it relates to or affects the fundamental nature of something. That it's far-reaching or thorough we want this series to be a radical series a series that digs deep into each of our hearts and lives that we would be changed as a result of it and then therefore because of the radical truths that are found in this book that we would see the noun form of the word radical that we would be people utterly sold out to live for Christ In every way shape and form that as we approach Jesus as he paves the way for us back to God that we would start seeing our lives look more and more like Jesus no matter the struggles no matter the opposition that we face we're gonna learn in this book that Jesus calls us to radical living he calls us to a life that is so radical that it changes the world around us and we just got done with a series on stewardship using every opportunity because we know the days are evil it will take radical Christians who live radical Christianity who live radical lives to change the world around us and yet as I approach this first passage of scripture in the book of Mark I look and I see that there are three things that I would define as radical two of them are going to be adjectives and then hopefully one will if I do this right will be a noun but the first thing that we come to is as we look at this introduction to mark is we see a man write this in your outlines a man who is radically flawed he is fundamentally and thoroughly flawed now before we can get in fact let's just go ahead and and read the passage Uh, because we're going to be addressing this in a moment so let's go ahead and, and look to the passage Mark chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ the Son of God it is written in Isaiah the prophet I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the Lord make straight paths for him And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Israel went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. As we approach the introduction to this book, before we can even get into the text, we have to ask the question, who is this that is writing to us? I hope as you look at a book, in fact one of the ways that I go about reading I read a lot of biographies and one of the first things that I will do is I will read about the author of that biography and the reason why is because I want to know from which perspective is this individual going to tell the story I want to know his background what type of things he likes the kinds of things that impacted his own life Was his childhood or her childhood important to her? Because if it was, then there'll be a lot of time spent in the childhood of the person that they are writing the biography about. What issues, what failures, what flaws in the biographer's life will come out as they tell the story of another? To be able to know about the Gospel of Mark, we need to know its author. And its author is one who I say is radically flawed. The author of the book of Mark is a man by the name of John Mark. John was his Hebrew name, Mark was his Roman name. Literally, he was John Marcus. And he was a man that uh, is spoken about through the scriptures, and as we get to know this John Mark, we get to know why he wrote the Gospel of uh, Mark, and what things he brought out in that book, and why they're important for us. Let's get to know this guy through his biography first of all we know little about his father there's nothing written about him that doesn't mean his dad was a good man or a bad man it just means he wasn't spoken of uh, at all through the scriptures we do know from a passage in the book of acts that his mom's name was mary not one of the famous marys but Mary nonetheless we know that they lived in jerusalem we know from acts chapter twelve that they lived in jerusalem and, and it seems that they were well-to-do because they lived in a home, in Acts chapter 12, it says, where many people were assembled. And to be able to have many people into a home, you had to have been an upper-class uh, individual to be able to hold that type of assembly in your midst. It seems that because of the size of the home and because of where they lived in Jerusalem, that many scholars believe that John Mark's home of his parents would be a home that would be used by the first church over and over again in fact we will learn about this a little later but John Mark's home many scholars believe the upper room of John Mark's home was the upper room where the Lord spent his last evening with his disciples and where the last supper may have taken place And so here's this well-to-do seemingly young man who now is given the charge Of writing uh, the gospel of Mark where would he learn about the events we know that Mark was not a disciple he was not a part of the 12 we know that uh, John Mark would be uh, a disciple of Peter's uh, later on in his life and that he would pen the words that Peter shared with him about his experiences with Jesus Christ so here we have this well-to-do young man from Jerusalem who's given the privilege to write the second gospel of Jesus Christ to tell all of the world and all of history what Jesus was all about and you would think that this guy was really well to do but sadly I have to tell you this guy was in some ways a loser there was a lot of issues that this guy had what we learn about John Mark and there's not a lot but what we learn about him through his resume and through his actions was that he failed and he was flawed in some ways And the first way we see that through his biography is that he fled from Jesus he fled from Jesus now like I said most scholars believe that the uh, upper room where the last supper took place may have in fact happened in uh, John Mark's home here in Jerusalem and what we learn from Mark's own words in fact turn for a moment to mark 14 with me this morning mark 14 mark shares an incident that happens right after the Last Supper after the disciples leave the upper room now scholars are unsure how all this transpires but seemingly what must have taken place is John Mark who is younger than all of seemingly all of the disciples uh, followed the disciples and Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane and when Judas comes with the posse of Roman leaders John Mark is there to see the arrest of Jesus and notice what happens in John 14 verses 51 through 52 mark says the following a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him he fled naked leaving his garment behind now almost all scholars believe that this questionable man who has to run away naked who's the first streaker in all of Jerusalem is John Mark himself Now I like John Mark because John's like well that's important you can't just say that there wasn't this dude running around naked in in Jerusalem got to bring that up that's news but what I won't do is I won't say it was me and so he adds the phrase a certain young man I can't tell you how many stories of mine start with a certain young man And so here, his opportunity to show Jesus and the disciples how ready he is for ministry, and he blows it. He would be forever known as the streaker of Jerusalem. You don't get rid of that title. I don't care what you do. But notice later on in his ministry, he runs into yet another failure, where people could once again say he was flawed. We see John Mark later in the book of Acts. In fact, if you want to read about John Mark, the bulk of, of who he is and, and what he's about and his interaction with the apostles takes place between Acts chapter 12 through Acts 15. And in that text, we learn that John Mark becomes the central focus of not anything good, but in fact, something quite tragic. Because we see in Acts chapter 15, just turn a couple pages over through the book of Mark and Luke, the book of John, and then to the book of Acts chapter 15 for a moment. We see something takes place between, John, uh, between Barnabas and Paul. We know all of, of course, the Apostle Paul. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was one of John Mark's cousins. And what we learn is, is that John Mark again becomes a central focus to a fight that breaks out, a quarrel that breaks out between Paul and Barnabas. Notice what he says. Acts 15, verse 36. He says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him. Why wouldn't Paul want John Mark to go? What was the issue? Luke tells us. He says the reason why he doesn't want to take him is because Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and, they had, not, and had not continued with them in the work. We'll get back to that in a moment. So what happens? They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Paul Barnabas took John Mark and sailed for Cyprus but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches how would you like to be known as the dude that breaks up one of the greatest tag teams of ministry in all of history Paul and Barnabas man they were rock-solid that's like Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen I mean think about that that you would be known as the guy that created the argument that split everybody up the reason why is because on an earlier ministry trip John Mark didn't have enough to stay with them we don't know why he left commentaries believe because of his youth he may have left because he missed his family some believe that maybe he might have uh, gotten uh, engaged in other extracurricular activities that could have distracted him from the cause of Christ. We don't know. But we do know that Paul says that it was unwise for him to go. Two failures, fleeing Jesus when the going got tough and uh, forsaking the ministry when the ministry got tough as well. A failure, a man who is flawed is the writer of the book that we're going to spend the next six to seven months looking at. What an amazing thought. An amazing thought that God would use a failure to do his work can I tell you God is in the business of using failures to do his work and what we're gonna learn throughout this book is this book is written from a failure experience he's gonna talk about the faithlessness of the disciples He's going to talk about when the disciples just didn't get it. He's going to talk about time in and time out where people let Jesus down. And the reason why is he recognizes what it feels like to be a failure. And I think deep down inside, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, he recognized that this book, these words that he was going to write, would have greater impact from writing from that failure perspective than it would writing it as a saint. One who is above any failures and any flaws. The Gospel of Mark is a book that failures like myself need to read. This guy flees Jesus. He forsakes his ministry. Two opportunities, two failures. Now let's get to his book. We understand from his bio, he's he's had some struggles. Now let's get to the book. The book of Mark is a gospel that is far different from any other gospel while many of the same material much of the same material is offered it's done quite differently number one write this down it is fast paced it is fast paced and the reason why that comes out is because of two very key areas number one it is the shortest of all the Gospels it is by far the shortest and so he packs a lot of information the same life of Jesus in a far shorter amount of words The other thing that brings out this fast-pacedness is that he goes at the speed of light. He invests at sometimes one, two, maybe three verses on what Matthew, Luke, and John would spend a whole paragraph talking about. I shared this with the preaching team on Tuesday as we were studying this. Matthew, Luke, and John were books that were written to our ladies. Details, details, details mark is a man's book how was your day mark fine what did you do i went to work nothing more than that well mark i'm sorry while uh, matthew luke and john would talk about oh it was a beautiful day on the countryside the stars were out that night we could count the many stars that were in the sky talking about all that was going on in jerusalem that day mark would say this is what jesus did This is all he said, and that settles it. He's fast-paced. In some ways, he is just outright blunt. There's no real eloquence to how he articulates. What Jesus, I'm sorry, what Mark does is he speaks about Jesus in a very user-friendly, layman sort of way. And what we're going to learn about Jesus through John Mark's experience is that Jesus was this new celebrity rabbi who comes in in some ways out of nowhere because we're not going to get any of the genealogy from him. So he comes on the scene. He's a grown man at the time that the book opens. And he articulates over and over again this simple word about this celebrity rabbi who seemingly has this secret identity. And the word you will see almost four dozen times in the book is the word immediately. Write that somewhere. That is the key word of this whole book. The word immediately, it is action-packed. He goes from one thing and then immediately Jesus is doing another thing. Like a kid with ADD without touching Ritalin in his life, he's talking to you in one way and as he's talking over there, he goes, squirrel, and he's over there. This will make it incredibly difficult to preach from. Because right when you think that you can put it together in this nice, clean way, he's on to another subject. Right when you're hunkering in dealing with Jesus and the demon, he's over here saying, then he was healing somebody. Just like that, immediately he was over here. We need to recognize that because if we don't, we're going to miss out on what Mark is trying to tell us about Jesus. Bear in mind, what you're not gonna get from this study what you're not going to get from the book of Mark you'll get no genealogy you get no nativity there's no baby Jesus in a manger you don't get any of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount no angelic announcements no lengthy discourses by Jesus not even the words it is finished are in the words that John Mark writes but what John Mark will talk about over and over and over again is Jesus his conquering over disasters, demons, disease, and even death. And he shares these words, as I said, in a blunt and sometimes a cru- uh, crude way. He's just a workman, just telling the story about Jesus through the words of another failure, Peter. So now that we know a little bit about this book, now we know a little bit more about this author, let's get into the book. Let's get into the first couple verses because right away we see a man who is so different than John Mark. A man who is radically flawed, John Mark. He's got issues like the rest of us, he struggles. But we come to a guy who is so different than that, who is radically focused. Notice the messenger who is radically focused as we open this book. We learn about this guy from John Mark, <clears throat> and his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist comes, and we need to learn about this messenger who opens the book of Mark right away because he hits the ground running. Notice what the text says in verse 2. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I would send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And it says, and so John came. John the Baptist is one we need to know and understand Jesus said he would be one of the greatest men to have ever lived and we learn some things about him first of all his mandate his mandate. this man had a purpose the scripture tells us from the other Gospels that even before he was born the prophet Isaiah says John's going to come and he's gonna prepare the way for the Messiah Jesus Christ. We know from uh, the other gospels that uh, Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mom, would be in Bethany when uh, Mary, Jesus' mom, would come. And when Mary announces to G, uh, to, I'm sorry, to Elizabeth, that she is, bo- is going to be giving birth to a baby without ever having a union with Joseph, it tells us that the baby, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy it tells us something that is theologically amazing that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he came from his mother's womb this was a special guy this was a guy that by God's sovereign plan was going to be the messenger and so he comes to fulfill the mandate that God has for him and the prophecy speaks to this It says his job would be to go ahead of the Messiah, Jesus, to prepare the way and to make straight paths for him. Now we need to understand something. Mark is writing not to a Jewish audience, but to a Roman and Greek audience. And they would have understood this terminology. We don't in our English understanding of it. But the Romans and the Greeks would have. When he speaks of preparing the way and making straight paths, he's speaking of construction being done. You see, in, in the area of Judea, when the Jews were governing themselves, the roadways were pitiful. They would wind around. There would be rocks in the middle of them. It would be very difficult to get from point A to point B. But the Romans and the Greeks had a whole interstate system And not per se like we do, of course, with paved roadways, but the roads were clear, they were wide, they were straight. And so the job of the people, the workers, was to make straight paths for who? Their king. And the reason why their king would want that is a king would want to be able to communicate with his entire empire quickly. And if there were straight roads, he would be able to do that. Number two, the reason why he wanted straight and clear roads paths was so that his armies would be able to make it from one battlefield to the next roads are important to an army it has been said that robert e lee said if i had the railway system that abraham lincoln did i would have surely won the civil war he didn't need more guns he didn't need more men he needed straight paths and ways to get from point a to point b now let's bring that to the spiritual sense The job that John the Baptist had was to clear the roadway, to get rid of all obstacles, all obstructions, so when the king showed up, he wasn't going to have to stop midway to move a rock or a, a tree that had fallen. He would be able to clearly go from point A to point B as quickly as possible. And so what John's job was to do was to prepare the hearts of people for the message and the ministry of Jesus his mandate now notice some of his mannerisms we learn about this feller he's, he's, he's quite a guy in verse 6 it tells us that this guy was no preppy he didn't go shopping at Abercrombie & Fitch he uh, found himself wearing a camel-haired outfit which was a pretty um, low-level outfit if you really think about it camel hair is nothing very soft it's full of bristles and all kinds of things that would make you uncomfortable And he wore a leather belt. This was reminiscent of Elijah, who we studied in the spring. So he looked the part of a prophet. And that's why a lot of people thought this was Elijah, the prophet. Notice not only his fashion, but his food. The guy ate roasted locusts and wild honey. Of course, that was what was prevalent in the wilderness that he would come from. And he uh, would eat this because it was also clean food. There was no issue of any kind of defilement that would take place because his diet was that that would bring glory and honor to God but he was in many ways viewed as kind of a crazy guy in his time notice he comes out of the wilderness not from the synagogues no rabbinical schooling is in his pedigree and he finds himself alone so this is a guy who comes out of the blue out of nowhere out from the wilderness wearing crazy clothes looking all crazy and he's just yelling and screaming about the coming of the king Now, notice his methods what does he do in verses 4 and 5 the text tells us and so John came baptizing the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin so this is what this guy does he comes out He doesn't care what people think about his clothing. He doesn't care about what they think about his food. And he just starts preaching. And he preaches a difficult message. Repent and be baptized. Now, I love what this guy does. And we've got to go outside of Mark to see his style. But I want you to think about how you might respond to this type of preaching. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to Luke 3. Luke gives us some more details. And I got to tell you, I was telling Amanda this on the way here, I love John the Baptist. This guy had some real moxie. This guy knew what his job was, and he didn't care about what anybody said. And I like that, even though that that goes against all that we know of in our culture today. But notice what Luke tells us in Luke 3, 7 through 9. He says, now John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him now understand this they're coming and they're coming to be baptized these these aren't people that are just um, hanging out or or just living in, in all kinds of sin as uh, as uh, they listen to this guy saying you're crazy you crazy man preaching but what he says is as they come he yells to them you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves we have Abraham as our father for I tell you out of these stones Godhead can raise up children from Abraham the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire let's take an offering. we don't like that kind of preaching he calls people out You sinners, you snakes, you come, you better understand that when you come to Jesus, it means that you give up everything. That you don't play games because you know what? If you don't live out the life of repentance, the Father in heaven has an ax and he's going to cut you down. Smile, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. John nails them right between the eyes. And he addresses things that we as Americans in our western culture would say are radical can I tell you they're closer to real Christianity than what we're doing today John says to them it is time to get right with God now notice what John doesn't do John doesn't say, let's see, uh, just a quick show of hands. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And, and, and so I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody to feel awkward here. And so while everybody else can't see, I want you to pledge your allegiance to Jesus. He says, if you're going to pledge your allegiance to the coming Messiah, then get wet. Get in the water and prove to the world that I am going to make and do and, and get right with my God in heaven because the king is coming and the king is coming and he's going to require some things for me and so I want to be ready and so he says it's time to get wet and the and the baptism that takes place is different than the baptism that we are a part of because it comes before Christ this baptism was literally, I'm a sinner I'm a filthy, rotten, dirty sinner and I need to show my need for cleansing, my need for cleaning to take place and so this baptism was one that showed that we were being purified from our ways of sin different than the baptism that we experience and we'll talk about that next week in more detail now notice for a moment the size of the of the people or if you will the success that takes place go back to mark chapter 1 Mark 1 says, well, what takes place? You would think, because you see these guys that preach like John the Baptist, they're in the the, um, airports on a soapbox saying the end is near. The end is coming. By the way, Harold Camping was wrong again. We're still here October 21st. Okay? Just remember, no one knows the hour or the day. Let's just keep remembering that. Moving on from that, that's what a rabbit trail is. Moving back to our main focus, what would we think? Of a guy who gets up and says the end is near repent we'd walk and say man that guy's crowding the aisle notice what happens when this man teaches the truth of the coming king it says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him what a success all these people come and they don't just come we have churches that are filled to capacity and all of cities are there but then what they're not doing is they're not doing what they did in John the Baptist day they love the show they love to see what's going on but they're mere spectators notice what John's people do they confess their sins and they're baptized by him in the Jordan River they say it's not good enough just to listen I'm gonna openly tell you I've got issues and here are my issues one commentary said that what would take place during these revival services was the litany of sins of people that would come out revival in churches begins when people become open about their sin and begin to articulate to one another not only I'm a sinner we all know we're sinners but I struggle with lust I struggle with evil thoughts. I struggle with a lying tongue and openly telling our small groups and the people that we're working with that we struggle with these things. These are issues that we're fighting with instead of being these masked individuals who play these games that John the Baptist yells out against. Now notice the message that takes place kind of message did he preach? He says he preached one of repentance, getting right with God. The singular message that he had involved a singular person. Notice what Mark says, very bluntly. Here was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Spirit. His message was simple. I'm not the show. The one that's coming the one that's coming is he's more powerful he's greater he's more awesome than I would ever be I'm not even worthy to touch his shoes let alone speak as if I'm him he is it and you need to get right with him don't think that I'm the end result it's all about him the one who is to come now notice he speaks of two very important things that we need to recognize. Number one, he speaks of this man from a human perspective. I can't even play around with his shoes, his sandals. Spirits don't wear sandals, people do. And he speaks to Jesus as a man. But he says that he is going to come and not baptize with water. Any man could baptize with water. But the one who is to come is not just a man, but he is God. Because who can baptize with the Spirit of Almighty God? Even in Mark's words to us, even in John's message. And remember, John hadn't met this man. It's not until uh, the next week that we learn that he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world when Jesus comes to the Jordan. John, because of the prophetic mandate that he had been given, knew exactly who he was talking about and who he was pointing to two men one flawed one who is radically focused what connects these two men together with the couple minutes I have left I want to look at a third and that is that which takes place so that we can have a life of ministry that is radically faithful what do we apply from this I know I've done a lot of talking about two guys a lot of information But how do we apply this? If you're John Mark, because we're going to be one of two people. We're going to be John Mark where we're sitting there and we're full of failings and and full of flaws. and, And we're the type of person that says, God will never use me. God will never use someone that is messed up like I have. I'm not put together. I don't have a spiritual gift. I don't have any of this. And you just, just in your despondency say, I would love to serve God, but why would he ever use a character like me? And then there are some who aren't like John Mark, but are like John the Baptist. And you're you're locked into what Jesus is doing. You're locked into telling others about Jesus. You're locked into doing ministry. There's a word for both of those types of people this morning. And the word comes in verse 1. And that word is here, the beginning of the gospel the gospel. Euangelion is the word gospel. It means good news. And this word good news, this word gospel reminds us whether we are a sinner or a saint, we need the grace of Almighty God. No matter what flaws and failings we've had, we need the grace of God no matter how good we've been since we've come to know Christ each and every day we need the grace of Almighty God and here's the gospel you and I are sinners and we are sinners and that wouldn't be a problem until we begin to understand that there's a holy God in this universe who created everything out of nothing and this holy God demands righteous living from his creation but as sinners we couldn't do anything on our own to get right with God And so God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and to live on earth and to put flesh on and to live like us and to live around us and and be confined to a, a body and to time. And he did all of that to do it perfectly so that he could pay the ultimate price by dying on the cross for your sins. And by dying on the cross for our sins, we might have the opportunity to be made right with God. That's the gospel. And the gospel calls for repentance. It calls for confession. It calls for lives that are different after meeting Jesus. That once I've met Jesus, I'll no longer live the life of sin that I lived before. I will no longer live the life of failures that I have before. But now because I've met Jesus, I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come and so this gospel is something that all of us need to understand first of all we must understand our lives must be founded on it and found in Christ Jesus let me tell you something you get the gospel wrong and it's the ball game it's the Achilles heel that will ruin your eternity Every person, every man, woman, and child must come to a place where they say the gospel of Jesus Christ is my life. I put my trust in it. I put my hope in it. I put all of the marbles in all of my baskets into it because it's everything I have. Without the gospel, I am nothing. And if we miss that, then a day is going to come where we will stand before the incredible judge And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. You don't get the gospel right. Then nothing will be right in your life. It means recognizing you're a sinner, repenting of your sinful ways, receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and relying on him the rest of your days. Now you say, well, Tim, how do I make sure I do that? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I would love... I would love, I would love an opportunity to sit down with you and to share with you the greatness and the full understanding of what the gospel of Jesus Christ means to me and what it can mean to you. Give your life to Jesus. How about for the John Marks in this place? The failures. Understand because of the gospel that even failures can do fantastic things things for god john mark two major mess ups when the going gets tough man he's off running he doesn't care what he leaves behind and maybe you're sitting there today saying god can't deal with my thing tim if you only knew let me tell you something god makes great masterpieces out of failures like you and me and he wants to do that with you and here's the great thing about john mark two failures at some point John understood the gospel of Jesus Christ and God honored him by letting him pen these words in 2nd Timothy Paul would say remember Paul's like I don't want to go with John Mark man he blew it last time and what we learn from the apostle Paul on his last days here on earth he says bring John Mark to me he will prove to be an asset to me that's the same John Mark who blew it And what I will hear to tell you, if you're a failure this morning, rely on the grace of Almighty God and say, I'm no longer that person that I used to be. I'm a new creation. And then I would say, base it on grace and base it on grit and start working to live differently. i got to be honest with you. As a young man into my teenage years and even uh, post-teenage years, I viewed my life as an utter failure. And I look now and I see by the grace of God, what he allows me to do. I blew it in all ways, shapes, and forms. And some of you were there to see it. But by the grace of God, he gave me a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. But the thing that I needed to do was work hard serving God. And some of you are waiting for grace, and grace is there. Now it's your job to stop living the way you used to and start living differently. He would prove himself faithful, and all of us should as well. Finally, for those who are John the Baptist, remember this, our spiritual fire must be focused in on the right things. You got this great ministry. You're doing this great job in your small group. Everybody comes up and says, you're the greatest small group leader there's ever been. You're the greatest Sunday school teacher. You lead uh, games at the kids' program better than anybody does. You're this, you're that. You preach the best sermons. Let me tell you something. John the Baptist got all of that, and over and over and over and over, and at 100 more overs, he pointed back over and over again to Jesus. It's all about him. Stop applauding for me and start applauding for him, you brood of vipers, you ugly people. Stop doing that. Go to my Savior. Notice what he says in one of the other Gospels I must decrease so that he may increase. If you're a John the Baptist this morning and are not proclaiming that, then you are stealing the spotlight with the God of this universe. Can I tell you something? you're not gonna win you're not gonna win and so what i encourage all of us to do is no matter what ministry we're a part of remember it's by the grace of almighty god and that he deserves and he should receive all the glory and all the praise and all the honor let's pray father god we come before you and we thank you for this opening section of scripture lord i'm so thankful that you use John Mark's to write your word because there's hope for me. Lord, I fail you all the time. And I know my brothers and sisters in this room, they fail you as well. And it's good to see a guy like John Mark who's able to do great things for you. But Lord, we know that it isn't simply just grace. It means we've got to change. And so Lord, I pray for the failure this morning. I pray for the one who finds themselves doing the stuff that they don't want to do over and over again falling for the same garbage that they would bask in your grace, but that your grace would lead them to live differently, that they would say no to sin and no to worldly passions and lusts, and they would put their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith. Lord, I pray for the John the Baptist in the room been walking with you for a while Lord they know what their calling is they're ready to do it and they're not afraid of anybody who gets in their way Lord make sure I pray that they would make sure that they do it with the right heart and they do it pointing to the right Savior but we're just messengers you've spoken through donkeys speak through us. You'll use whatever you need to. You said, I'll have the rocks cry out if I have to. We're just messengers, Lord. Let us never allow the spotlight to fall on us. Lord, we look forward to this book. This book's going to change us. It's going to make us different. It's going to force us to do business with you. Lord, I pray today would be the beginning of that. That if there's someone here who has never trusted you as their Savior, they wouldn't go a moment further without bowing the knee to you, without getting right with you. Because until we get right with you, we cannot know God. We cannot see God for all that you are. I pray that that would be a reality. Now, Lord, lead us from this place. We've worshipped you and, and we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to gather with your people. Now, lead us to the activities of the day. Allow us the fellowship and the grace and love that you've given us so that we can show it to others. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. God bless you.